Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. This is episode 11. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us Vermont author Robert Thorne. He's here to talk to us about his latest book, Beyond the Veil, Part 1, The Prophecy. And uh, Robert, but you prefer Bob. Bob works as well. So. Yes. Yep. Okay. Bob's good. Bob's good. Okay. So, so Bob, so, so let's, before we, before we kind of, we jump right into it and like, this is your, this is your inaugural book, correct? Okay. And, and so we, before we kind of talk about it, do you want to kind of give our, our viewers and our listeners a little bit of background on how you got into writing this book that beyond the veil? Yeah. I, I love the chat about that a little bit because that is interesting to me and it's something that is unfolding and I'm still figuring out. So mm-hmm. I've actually found in talking about that um, and other questions people ask me about it, it's helping me figure out what the hell's going on here um, because it's somewhat accidental that I got into writing this book. But um, I retired two years ago mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to start a new chapter in my life. So I remember building up to retirement thinking, I really don't want to have any plan or concrete idea about what I'm going to be doing. I want to just see what unfolds in an organic way. Mm. Um, I knew a couple things that I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to uh, meditate some, go inward somewhat, and try to connect more with the genuine me. So I, I wanted to do that. And interestingly, uh, I, I worked uh, 40 years in the developmental mental health field, uh, last 25 years as executive director of our regional developmental mental health center, and also uh, taught management courses, uh, graduate level management courses for 30 years. And I had in the back of my head, and again, I'm not sure how far back this goes, and it might be decades, that I was going to write a book when I retired. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do that is because I had unbelievably good materials that I thought would be important materials. So from a long, you know, from a long time ago, I I thought I would be a writer. And... um, not at all where I went with my writing, but I thought I would be a writer. And then the other thing that is very consistent with this unfolding of my second chapter or my next chapter is that, and in writing and looking back at how I got to be a writer, I realized that I've always been a storyteller. Hmm. So, you know, I um, <clears throat> have so many instances that I look back and I think, well, you know, this yeah, I've always been a storyteller, but I've just done it without thinking about it. And um, and it's happened so many times and so often that now I see, yeah, I, I always wanted to tell stories. And, um, <clears throat> you know, just an example, we uh, when I was at the University of Connecticut, we um, lived in this apartment. There were four units down and four units up. And... Um, and we lived in one, and then next to us was a couple with uh, a daughter who, I don't know, I think was 10 maybe, something like that. I'm bad at guessing. It's so far removed from where I'm at right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm within a decade. Um, but um, 
and she come over and I was working at that time I was rebuilding the engine on my Volkswagen bus and it was in the parts in the driveway. Uh, it was actually like the apartment building then all paved in the front. So it was nice to do that. And she came over all the time and I don't know how it started, but I just would always, when she came over, tell a story, tell a story. And she'd run in the apartment cause we were downstairs and go to my wife and say, truth or story. And my wife would always say story. <laughs> but it's funny how she continually needed to validate, is this truth or story, even though it never was truth. <laughs> um, but at any rate, so, you know, that's just an example. My nieces and nephews, when they would come over, um, I'd always have to tell stories uh, for a period there. It always had to be a scary ghost type story. <clears throat> and um, I don't even know what I was saying, but as long as I did plenty of these, Wah! you know, loud noises and sudden movements so they could all freak out, they were happy, you know. So, but the main re reason and how I got into this was um, when we were living out in Bridport in a big farmhouse, um, my sister-in-law and her husband would come up to visit, fell in love with Vermont and asked if they could move in with us while they look for a place to live. And they did. And, uh, you know, we lived together for, I don't know how long, it seems like a couple of years anyway. And they had a daughter. Um, and I would tell her, they have two daughters, but one was very young. Uh, but the one I'm talking about, Carrie, um, I tell her stories all the time. And I always remember this one occasion where I was working out in our garden and I was telling Carrie who was by the way at the time maybe five or six tiny little kids sitting on a cinder block and I'm working away and telling stories you know plagiarizing everything I know um, uh, the witch with snakes for hair jump for the five-year-old blonde girl you know by the way I I asked her recently uh, did it ever occur to you that the main character in every story I ever told you or wrote uh, was your age, your description? And she said, no, I never realized that. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, even to this day, she hadn't realized that. But anyway, I'm telling her the story, and all of a sudden I hear, stop. And I look around, and she's sitting on this cinder block, white as a sheet and shaking like Oh, wow. Almost violently. And I said, oh, Carrie, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't realize you were getting so freaked out. I shouldn't have said that. And and she's um, got this stare. To this day, it's a stare that I can't figure out. It's like she was in some place that I've never mm -hmm. seen or been in touch with through any other experience. But I said, I'm sorry, you okay? And I'm patting her on her back and she's not looking at me, just staring ahead and she says, go. And I said, what? You want me to continue? Go. I said, I don't think it's a good idea, Carrie. It's like, you know, you're freaked out. Go. Mm. So the snakes jumped out, stop. And she's shivering. I thought I heard a tooth crack. She was shivering so hard. Wow. And um, so, that's that would happen all the time. By the way, I saw her mother at the door straining to say, "What the hell are you telling my daughter?" Carrie, <laughs> <laughs> well. it's time to come in. <laughs> but 
this the bring it full cycle um the christmas after i retired we get together at my house to do christmas eve i get to cook and um and then we exchange gifts and so carrie usually had bought me a bottle of wine and it had a great theme on it like thorny rose or once upon a vine all related kind of to um you know our stories that we shared in the past and by the way when we moved away i would write her stories and send them to her and i actually found a couple of those that were were pretty funny oh, wow. um <clears throat> but anyway i i said well thanks and there were three bottles i said thanks she says well there's a catch and i said oh okay here it comes what is it and she said um i want you to write me a story using the themes of on the names of the wines and i take them out and the themes are the prophecy these are real wines i have them uh, the prophecy, the dreaming tree, and the girl and the dragon. Huh. Um, so my first thought was, okay, you know, here's an assignment, <laughs> more paperwork to take care of. But I sat down and um, fell in love with it. And um, the first story is the prophecy. And who would have guessed it's based on a bottle of wine? Um, <laughs> uh, and that's how it came to be. And I'm working now in the girl and the dragon. And um, the last one will be the dreaming tree. So that's somewhat how it came came to be. So it's Beyond the Veil, part one, the prophecy. And as you said, that's exciting. It's named after a bottle of wine. That's cool. Uh, so what would what, what will the readers uh, get out of it? What's, uh, what's the uh, the back of the cover, basically, description of the book? Well, you know, that's another thing I've been struggling with. So I've asked people, you know, how would you describe it? Um, I chatted with some people and my daughter, who's my greatest fan, but also greatest critic. Um, but I really appreciate because she'll tell me if something doesn't seem right or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess it's like uh, science fiction, dystopian. But to me, that doesn't describe it at all. But I guess if I had a, a genre, I, I would say that. But you know, my influences are clearly my work. The main character is a 15-year-old homeless girl living on the streets of Boston at the start of the story. Um, I, I definitely am influenced by uh, gender issues. I mean, the main characters are strong females that, in spite of being held by, back by institutions, are going to do their thing without giving away too much about it. Um, and um, so influenced by that. And that comes from having a daughter. I've, I've lived with two women. I have my wife and my daughter um, working with people who many of whom are strong women, uh, but have had unfair disadvantages uh, as a result of gender, having a lot of great nieces. <clears throat> and of course, just reading things that we read in the media that just seem criminal. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you wonder how is this possible you know it just seems so stupid but anyway there's that i have a real interest in science um certain parts of science i, I i'm one of those people who knows a lot about or a little about a lot you know i'll read something that's really interesting but i won't you know delve in it into it so deeply that i truly understand it but the science the, the theme for my book started out to be uh you know truth is stranger than fiction so almost everything i put in the book relates to something that is true 
happened in reality or is a strong theory in terms of you know cutting a edge thinking around quantum mechanics or mm. the uni- expansion of the universe or you know the speed of light and you know all of those kinds of things that especially now there's like a explosion of new thinking about things that we thought we knew in the past and so that's the science but you know there's a a part in the book where aria who's the main character goes to a lecture at mit well the lecture hall is the actual hall <clears throat> the um professor is really the head of uh, mathematics department at um mit it's the streets are real you know it, it's that kind of stuff that i i put in it just because again it's just i'm drawn toward that aspect of where the truth lies as outrageous as it may seem but anyway he does a lecture and the lecture is about parallel universes and um and that's actually a book that this person wrote it's it's taken from a book that was actually written about parallel universes and so a theme in my book is there's three parallel universes that come together in a way not obvious to everybody but they come together every seven thousand years and this is the seven thousandth year and there are folks i mean most people involved in wherever they live which are on planets in three different universes are unaware of the reality of this crux that's formed with the parallel universes coming together Um, but there are some who have some understanding about it some limited but you know some are trying to utilize it the other thing that i try to develop in it is the theme of uh good and bad or good and evil Mm. Um, and it's sort of like the bird that eats the worm is the bird evil or is it just following its nature um and there are things inherent in different cultures or societies or whatever that are just different and in this case there are going to be different interests that are acting on behalf of their uh nature but but it just so happens that those natures conflict in dramatic ways and there's going to be some tension obviously created about that um but it looks into my, my daughter says dad this is you know all your interest in philosophy psychology and religion and um you know and it is i realize that that's really what it is so you know when i'm writing something i'm thinking about something i've learned in psychology or thinking about something i've read in philosophy i started as a philosophy major by the way <clears throat> and um and i got out of that fairly quickly because all the professors and the people in, in the department had this attitude of and this is so unfair <laughs> but had this attitude of um oh, if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't be able to go on with life. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't too much of a sense of humor that I encountered in my initial experience in the philosophy department. <laughs> but I, I continued to read a lot of um, philosophy. I went through a period of reading the works of Plato and Aristotle. And and um, I had a friend that went to St. John's Academy near Annapolis, or it's in Annapolis. And that all they do is study the uh, classics and uh, you actually have to learn Greek so that you can read it in the original text. It's, it's an amazing and, you know, talking oh, wow. to him visited there a couple of times and it's, you know, it's interesting. 
as you said, there's like three parallel worlds that kind of converge every 7,000 years. So I guess my question for you as, as, as writing this, did you start off with the character and then kind of create a world around it? Or did you have this idea of a idea of a storyline and you kind of infused your, your inspired characters into this? Well, I think I definitely started with the character. Okay. I, I had within me this desire to talk about uh, people who have had disadvantage, uh, young people who have had disadvantages. And, I, and, I, and I've just seen so much of that. You know, they work so much harder, even with all their disadvantages, than, you know, the average person who might whine, this is unfair too, but might sit and whine if they don't have enough money for the cruise or whatever. Um, and uh, so I, I had that character in my head when I started writing this. And um, and I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know it was going to end up being science fiction. And I'm not really sure, you know, how it took the direction it did. I do know that once I started developing the characters, including Aria, um, I didn't want a plan and I had no plan. Mm. And what I would do is I couldn't wait to get back to the computer and I'd jump in. I was so immersed in this evolving landscape and these characters. I actually started seeing myself as a scribe for this semi-religion mm. Um, that uh, was recording events that happened during this period of time more than writing anything. And, uh, <clears throat> and you know, one thing would happen, one a chapter would end, and then that would kind of dictate, you know, where I was going to go from there. It's like, you know, and I was just telling my daughter, now that this is done, the, it's, uh, the launch is done, or at least everything I need to do for the launch, I can get back to writing part two. That's what I love to do. And I want to sit down and see where's this going to go? What's going to happen next? And, um, you know, I, I just really can't tell you how much I love immersing myself at the computer. I'm not really at the computer. I'm really in this city on this planet, Urgea, writing as a scribe, overlooking the doldrums and the heat, <laughs> the great desert. <laughs> Did you so once you kind of had that in place? How did you, um, with the with the world building aspect of it, did you kind of establish like you know maps, you know geography, languages, religions? How did that how did that kind of fall into place for you? Well, you know, I really uh, struggled with that for quite a while because I, I I only wanted to do as much as I needed to do to carry the story. I didn't, okay. you know, I, I had no interest in. You know, I thought about that because I was reading about it. You know, I, I'm always a student, so I'm reading about everything to do with writing. Now, this is my my new thing. You know, I'm a writer, um, <laughs> but I'm fascinated with it. You know, in all of the aspects and components to it. Components to it. Let me tell you this, Barney. When I first wrote this, I didn't do any editing or nothing. Remember, mm -hmm. my 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 uh, niece gave me this. Right. Uh, the bottles and, and launched me into writing this. My only goal was to get it done enough that I could uh, print a copy uh, so that I could print a copy and give it to her for Christmas <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the next year. So, uh, you know, that was my 
my whole goal at that point in time. So that wasn't my interest were really the characters. And I remember asking, like, you know, I knew nothing. I mean, how much does a good story have to be action or, or characters or, you know, all of this? I, I feel like the, world, the, the descriptions of the relevant aspects of the world are amazing to me. I mean, I'm my biggest fan. Let me tell you that. I love this story. And, um, uh, you know, it just... I have very clearly in my head what Arathi city looks like and what this great desert, the heath and the doldrums look like. And I actually did um, my first attempt at drawing a map. That There will be a little map in there. So, But that's just the, the immediate area because that's where the action takes place. Although I describe you know, other relevant cities and things like that, but not into a lot of detail. But then, I, you know, different, we're gonna be in different dimensions or different, universes and i really thought about the language <laughs> you know and how that was all going to work and then you know i start off where there's a mix of universes where the character without giving away too much the character doesn't understand what's being said and vice versa hmm. but they give her a tablet that helps learn language and and so the main character learns the language. That's how I dealt with it. <laughs> and um, so, and I, and I love it. it. To me, it works, you know, that works really well. But we went through this period where there was no understanding. And um, so I don't know, I guess I did some world building. And, and um, originally I had a lot of drawings of planets and things like that, but decided to get rid of all the visuals out of the book. Mm. That draft you wrote that you you first published, how long how long ago was that? Yeah, 2020. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then, you know, I, I had six printed and everybody who read it, which are all friends and family, so you can decide how you want to take that. <laughs> the first thing they said was, when can I read part two? Uh -huh. And, you know, so I thought, I thought that was sincere and and people said they really liked the book. My my niece who I you know gave me the bottles of wine who's also an author by the way and you know full cycle right I told her all these stories and um she wrote this children's she writes children's books but she said um you know I really like it but it's different and um you know I realized she said the, the <laughs> The footnotes were a little distracting. I had like 80 references. You know, the only thing I'd written in the past are this, uh, dissertation and uh, okay. two theses. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I've always written more in terms of journals and things like that. And uh, so I went back and I still have a lot of end notes. But, you know, this is part of the whole idea of uh, truth is stranger than fiction. I have a lot of quotes and things that relate to things people said. And, you know, for those who might want to drill down, if they have an interest and, you know, read something about Jung or the spiritual master, Sri Shinmoy. And my wife and I were disciples of Sri Shinmoy for a number of years before we uh, moved to Vermont. Um, but, you know, they're all amazing authors and writers in and of themselves and so there's the opportunity if there's a quote or something that's being mentioned in a book with an end note and somebody's interested in that then there's 
an opportunity to click on that and do some further Googling and, and read more about it. But so I couldn't get rid of that altogether. That's still the, you know, sort of professional uh, journal type writer that I had always been. But, <clears throat> but she said, get rid of the footnotes because they were distracting. I put them all at the end oh, okay. uh, and got rid of them. It, was there any, uh, any of that feedback where like you had to say, all right, I guess you're right. Or were there things in there that, you said you kind of stuck to your guns and said, well, I like this and I'm going to keep it in there. My daughter read it in terms of editing. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I had friends who, you know, was like my six books uh, that, um, you know, gave. I asked them for feedback. What did you like? What didn't you like? What was confusing? And and people were polite in how they said it. But, you know, you didn't have to read between the lines too hard um, that there was too much on the science. Right. So, you know, <laughs> and I, I realized that to me, that's fascinating and interesting. Probably it wouldn't be to most. And it also detracted from the flow of the characters and what was going on. So there's still a fair amount of that in, but I took quite a bit of that out. And, um, and I think it made for a much better book and keep in mind, I haven't written before Barney. So, this has like been an incredible learning experience for me. I, I feel like I'm a much better writer now than I was when I started this process. I've learned so much. I ended up um, buying a subscription to um, uh, Microsoft 365. It's got an editor in it. It's got a narrator in it. And by the way, like I I'm a member of a lot of writers groups and that's been so helpful. I mean, 75%, maybe not, but 25%, that's helpful, that's a lot, and that's very valuable. But somebody told me in editing, what really works for them is to um, have it narrated. And 365 has a narration function. So it reads it to you. And you know, a great example is, I've gone through it a number of times now, and I'm reading it, and it said, the diver, and it should have been the driver. <laughs> and it's hard to see that because right. It's just that one letter and they look very similar and I missed it a lot of times, but you hear it and you know right off that's not good or sound right or so that's credit to some of my Facebook uh, writer groups for that because I think that really works really well. Um, so, you know, made a fair amount of changes based on what people said versus because I started writing this. I wanted Carrie to like it, but you know, I got into writing it for me, you know, and right. uh, I was immersed in the story and and I love the science and and uh, but with part two that I've, you know, probably got 80 pages into that before I had to put it on halt to work on getting this up. But right. um, I th think it's much better. I think it's much better written and um, and it's more natural for me. I know more what I'm doing. I read an article, not an article, but it came up in Facebook about uh, Stephen King said, don't use adverbs. So I love that kind of thing because I looked that up and, you know, made sure I knew what adverbs were and I tried to understand why he said that. And I took out a few adverbs. <laughs> you so know, what, was his, what was his reason to say don't use adverbs? That it's unnecessary, you know, what, that probably the main thing I've learned, and it's probably not fully reflected in this part one, but it will be in two, is uh, extra words. I mean, there's so many extra words that I realize, but, you know, I mean, some of them are obvious, Barney, like, 
you know, it's um, hot. Right. Uh, do you need very hot? Right. You know, um, or, you know, things like that, that just are describers of verbs or whatever. And, and you read it and you think, you know, no, I, I really don't need this. It's not necessary. Right. So I think I was way wordy initially, worked on that a lot, took out a lot of words, um, took out sentences that really weren't helping any. Right. And so that stuff I never even thought of when I started writing. Huh. And so, so I, my other question for you is because as you, as you mentioned at the, at the start of the hour, um, you were thinking maybe you're going to be writing a management book or something along those lines. Do you have any characters that you have written in um, that you've, that you've written in beyond the veil that are, kind of represent like idealized versions of managers or supervisors or stereotypes of the type of supervisor manager that you wouldn't want or any of that. Absolutely. You know, really? almost, almost every character is based on either a person or a combination of qualities of people. Uh, the many that I work with, I was talking to um, a person who was on the board while I was there and uh, who's one of my readers and my great supporter, um, and I hope she watches this. I'm not sure if I should mention names or not. Some people don't like that, but, um, <laughs> and I said, well, my main villain, I shouldn't tell you this, but my main villain is based on, I'm not saying who. <laughs> she said, you better not ever say that. <laughs> And and it's a person I don't want to even want to use he or she that I really like and admire. But there's that aspect of that person that I know is there. Um, and you know, some of the people who are the greatest people I've no known and got to work with, and and you know, just my management team, just the most amazing people you can imagine. <clears throat> and I think of this one person who would never show it or let it out, but you know. She's in my book an assassin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you way too much. <laughs> it's a small state. <laughs> so, so, so the characters you have in there are either representative of people you know or amalgamations of a, a few different personalities that you kind of put together. Definitely characteristics of people who you know I've known or or come across and. And, um, you know, the leadership thing I do talk. And again, this is where, you know, I, it's not just a story I'm weaving in, you know, my, my interest in science, my interest in leadership. And at one point, you know, I talk about a person who's done something great. And, and I say, and, and the character is saying, uh, thought that, um, this person is a natural leader, has charisma, blah, 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 blah. And I'm listing the actual textbook definition of a good leader so <clears throat> that stuff definitely is interweaved with the whole story so and that's one of the things that's fascinating to me it's just so many aspects of my interest in my life are uh you know in there the the religion the arathi uh religion which they don't call it a religion but people see it as a religion um, is based largely on my experience with Shri Shinmoy when we were disciples, um, you know, years ago in Connecticut. An experience, by the way, that has um, contributed 
to my life in dramatic ways uh, to this day. How much of the the stuff that you put in there are some of the influences from uh, your work in human services and also you know, some of the things that influenced you growing up, but how much of it do you see maybe so not so much in part one, but say now in part two that you've, how much now is, is basically based off of new experiences since you wrote part one? Well, it's mostly, you know, all of my past experiences, but what's yeah. happening now, and this goes back to my intent of, allowing my next chapter to unfold right. organically um that what's happening is without working and having more time it's all coalescing um it's all coming together and in a very rich way um you know that i'm very appreciative of um so you know i describe my retirement as uh, the uh, phase I'm in now is magical. Mm. And the first phase was glorious. And, you know, I talk to people who have problems adjusting to retirement. That wasn't me yeah. at all. I mean, I just expression and, and, and I just couldn't help laughing. Right. And that, that was the first day uh, I worked 40 years here. I came in and saw all these people. Um, I wonder if I had a position of authority um, would I leave the organization and would there be something within me that I was getting from that, right. that I'm not in touch with? Because I always thought of myself as this is me, this is who I am. I went to work that way. I interact. And, um, but none of that, I didn't, you know, it was just, it was strange in a way, but it's given me the opportunity to think back and think about the people and think about nature. I think a lot about nature. You now, in my management course, you can't be a manager or a leader if you don't know something about the nature of us, of human beings. And I would always ask, you know, what is our nature? And nobody had a clue. They all thought they did. You know, there would be no agreement about right. it, it. It astounds me that uh, there's little agreement about what our our own nature is. And, and I start by saying, you know, let's look at it outside of ourselves. Like if there's a shark. What can we say about his nature? He's, he needs to be in the water. He doesn't like to lounge on a couch. He's a hunter, you know. Okay, do that with us. P you can't, people can't do it. Right. So that dominates my thinking in terms of relationships and how this unfolds and the religion, you know. And, and there's no, in my mind, and I hate to say this because it sounds alien, but it's not a good or bad thing. It's really more a function of our nature. You know, from that, do you see when you're when you're writing the story? I mean, like it's like there's two, you know, two schools of thoughts that you think the, either people call them like you know your is the book an amusement park ride or is amusement park or is it a sandbox? Meaning, an amusement park is there's a certain path to go. You can't really veer off. Are you in control of the story or is it more like a sandbox where you sit down and say, "What's happening today?" Not at all. Not at all in charge of it and don't want to be again this right. is just my wanting to be at a point in my life where things unfold right. and 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 truthfully even if i keep saying that's why but i don't think it is i just i like going there and it's like you know to me it's like binging on a great tv show right. I, I want to watch the next episode to see, see what's going to happen i want to get back to writing to see what's going to happen and mm -hmm. i really 
you know, in my problem with my head is, you know, throughout the day, washing dishes or doing whatever, um, all these ideas come in in terms of what could happen. And I like them all. Right. <laughs> They're all great, man. I'd like to see that, you know. Right. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, so I sit down and then, you know, it's funny, like I leave off with something and that really suggests what has to happen next. Right. So you're working on, you're, you're, you're working on part two right now, right? The you Girl see, and the Dragon. Yep. Yep. The Girl and the Dragon. Do you see you're going to be re releasing, you know, once people read issue, uh, uh, once people read part one, when can and like what your what your friends were saying? When can we expect part two? And then when can we expect part three? Is this a year coming, or just depends on when the story's finished for part two? Well, I may change my mind because I'm right at the end of needing to do all this prep to get this up, which, as I said, is not my favorite part of the whole right. exercise. But um, so I had a deadline for Christmas, and as Christmas approached for my niece, it started to uh, suck my will to live or suck <laughs> suck the joy out of the writing a little bit. And uh, because now I have a time frame and blah, blah, blah. And then this, when I pre-launch here, whatever the term is, um, I had, you have to set a date. Mm. And so again, it was a time frame. So, you know, right now I'm thinking two things I wanna do. One is get the paperback up and I've been working on that. And so I don't think, you know, that will be too long, but I'm not in any rush now. I did what I wanted to do for now. I'm not in any rush. I really want to get back to writing part two. Um, so, and then the other thing is to, you know, I'm looking forward to just writing. I've got maybe a third of it written, um, but I think this middle section is going to be longer. This is not that long. I don't know right. if it says what it is, but, um, and I don't know where it's going. So, you know, it's hard to say on that, but uh, it's interesting you said next Christmas and, um, you know, I'll certainly be looking to see what I can do by then. So Bob, thank you very much. This has been exciting stuff. So, so looking forward to seeing this, I'm going to get myself a copy of it and I'll be excited to take a look at it and read through it. And that, do you see I'm also going to be around 128 pages or so, or is this, yeah, so it's not that long, easy read. Um, it's, I love it. I'm my biggest fan. Um, so I won't say others will love it because who knows? Everybody has different tastes. But All right. Well, thank you very much, Bob. And when come back on the show when uh, Beyond the Veil Part 2 comes out. We'll, be, we'll chat about that. 